Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. We'll be picking up in the uh, book of 2 Peter today. We've spent the last few weeks actually diving into the first part of that epistle in chapter 1. And we made note of a host of things that we're supposed to add to our faith. We made the point that one of the things that separates Old Baptists from many others in Christendom is that many seem to think that Christianity is about you got to teach all this stuff so that you can get somebody to faith. And once they got faith, then they're saved and your job is done. Old Baptists believe God gives faith to whosoever He will. And if you are someone who hears these things and believes them, you say, yes, I have faith because I believe that. That's where it starts. And then you are to add things to your faith. And we saw that we're supposed to add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to godliness, brotherly kindness, uh, and then add charity on top of that. So it's really the beginning of a chain of things that you are to add to your faith and to cultivate in your own life. And that's really what was being talked about in about the first seven verses of the second epistle of Peter. And we're going to pick up in verse 8 today. Having examined the addition of those things to your faith, we're now going to look at what is said about that. And verse 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you pursue these things, as you pursue adding these attributes to your faith, as you ought, that's the path of Christian discipleship within the Lord's New Testament church. You're supposed to be adding those things and cultivating them in your life. And it says, if these things be in you, but not only in you, but if they be in you and abound, doesn't mean I have charity and I use it occasionally. I was patient one time, and I'll check the box on patience. It means if you've cultivated that and you're using them in such a way that they abound. And by abound, I think, how would you, say, how would you describe abounding in someone's life? Well, think of it maybe this way. If it's present enough in your life so that if someone else asked, what do you think about this, brother? How would you describe their life? Is it abundant enough in your life that they might pull one of these attributes out and say, that describes that person? Is it evident enough, abounding in your life to such a degree that people would say, well, I know one thing, that brother's charitable. That brother's virtuous. That brother's patient. That might be a pretty good measure of whether or not those things are abounding. The reason I say that is because we might see a little bit of it in ourselves and think, well, I think that's maybe enough. But do others see it as well? Are you expressing it externally in how you deal with other people? might be a way to think about whether or not you're abounding in those things and whether or not you need to redouble your efforts towards cultivating those attributes and adding them to your faith. Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things... Now, he's speaking to brethren here, okay? So... Another differentiating point between us and maybe what others think is that, well, if you don't have those things, you're just going to hell. You're, you're a heathen, you're going to hell. He lacketh these things. So you need to get on top of getting these things so you can go to heaven. That's not what is being said here at all. I'm going to suggest to you that the fact that Peter says, he that lacketh these things, 
in the context of addressing an audience of gospel-converted, regenerate people, tells you that it is entirely possible that you might lack these things, right? You might be lacking in some of these things. And this is a woeful state, and it's a sobering thought if we look at what is actually said here and apply it not to the alien dead sinner heathen out there who lacks these things, but to the children of God who have not properly cultivated them in their own lives. This has application to us. He that lacketh these things is blind. Now blindness is a terrible state of affairs if you're talking about just natural blindness. Incredibly difficult. It's hard to even imagine really. Maybe the closest thing I could think of is, is that situation you have. If, you're blind, if your sight was taken away from you instantaneously, just how very disorienting that would be. And an example I could think of is like, you know how it is when the electricity goes off in your house. You spend about the next two hours being constantly reminded how much you need electricity to do everything you do, Right? I mean, almost the first thing you do is you go into another room and you just instinctively flick a light switch. And you're like, that ain't going to work. I mean, the power's out, right? Well, I'll just go watch some TV. (laughs) No, that ain't going to work either. Well, okay, I'll just surf the internet, I guess. No. And you just keep going down this list until you're basically just sitting there with a candle Praying the Lord turns the power back on pretty soon because it pretty much shuts down the entirety of a modern existence in a, in a typical household once your electricity is out. How much more so if you lost your eyesight and you were in a state of blindness? I mean, I think if it happened to any of us, the first month or more would just be, oh, that's one other thing I can't do. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I won't be able to do that. It's just an, an almost endless list of things you couldn't do, from reading to cooking to seeing your grandkids to seeing a church service to following along in a hymnal just one after, oh, how am I going to get to church? I can't drive anymore. I mean, it's just thing after thing after thing. So blindness, when you hear blindness referred to in a spiritual context, it's a very woeful state. And it's one that you see around us the alien dead sinner is blind to spiritual things. And you see that being expressed in all sorts of ways in our society. There's all sorts of things that are being liberally promoted that it takes radical blindness to spiritual truth to be able to rally behind that. I'll put a topic out there, abortion. The zeal with which the alien dead sinner out there rallies behind abortion as something that is good is an evident display of spiritual blindness. It's an evident display. I mean, it's not just like we're neutral on the matter. It's like we're going full bore into this. And by the way, if you oppose it, we we're ready to go to war over this thing. That is abject spiritual blindness. Now, hopefully those of you in the Lord's house would say, I see that, and, and that's a horrible state to be in, but now apply blindness to something that might be described of your own life, of your own short-sightedness in things, and it's a reality that can be in our lives. We can be blind to spiritual truths, and that's a very woeful state. He is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath 
forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now, blind and forgetful. That's kind of doubly bad, right? That's like uh, you, you can't see and now your mind's not functioning properly. I can't really even remember the things I'm supposed to remember. Now, many people have dealt with the effects of aging. I'm old enough now to start seeing it in myself. I walk into rooms of my house sometimes and I have to stop and I have to ask the question. Some of y'all are laughing. Y'all been doing this longer than I have. What did I come in here for? I knew I was coming in here to get something, but I can't remember what it is. I have forgotten what it is. Right? And for me, I have to walk back into the room I started, and then maybe if I hang out in there long enough, it'll come back to me. But when your mind is not working right, you become forgetful of things that are needful. And the needful thing here that is forgotten by God's people the alien dead sinner never knew it to begin with. You follow me? He never. He thought all this stuff was foolishness anyway. So he hadn't forgotten it. He just completely rejects it. That's just foolishness. But God's people can forget that they've been purged from their old sins. And that is a woeful state. Now you're blind and now you've forgotten what Christ has done for you. You have been so crowded out by the things of this world. They have taken so much front and center that you no longer see the spiritual things. You're blind to those spiritual things that are needful. And it's as if you have completely forgotten what Christ has done for you. Now that is a dreadful state. And it's one we're warned of. It's one of the things I really appreciate about the Bible and about proper handling of the Bible is that you come in and hear the gospel preach, and it's not just, I'm going to come in here and tell you how wonderful all of you are. It's much more, uh, let's get down to the heart of the matter. Let's drill into what's really vexing and troubling in the Christian walk. And we're a mess, honestly. We're a mess of a people. We need a lot of work. We need a lot of encouragement and support. And that's why we need to hear the Word of God preached. But we want to avoid being this forgetful and blind people. And there's an admonition given here in verse 10 that is very important. Wherefore the rather. That's what I would name this sermon. If I were to put a title on it, I'd call it Wherefore the Rather. We're going to hear what we ought to do rather than be forgetful, blind people. Wherefore the rather, brethren. That emphasizes the thing I said before. This is talking to us now. It's not wherefore the rather you alien dead sinner if you want to go to glory. Here's a list for you. Here's your to-do list. No, this is talking to us. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. This is brethren who are to make their calling and election sure. Now, I've had people over the years corresponding with me and send me questions on this. And they would say, well, I just, how does one go about making their calling and election sure? And the implication there is that here's someone who's become a Christian of some denomination out there. And I've encountered this verse. 
And the implication for them is, well, this seems to be saying I might not be called and I might not be of the elect. So here I am, I'm in this intermediate state, but I need to make it sure because right now it's doubtful. That is not what this passage is teaching, though I hear a lot of people want to interpret it in that way. We are to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Well, first of all, say you're someone in that state. You're a child of God who doesn't really fully understand that Christ's work is a finished work, and you're trying to figure out, have I added you know, enough Legos on top of the whatever stack of Legos Jesus put together to get me above the line so that I can now get into heaven. That's kind of the way it's applied in the minds of some. But one of the questions I would ask for someone who's vexed by this, who's thinking along those lines, well, why do you care? Right? Now, a natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now, this person may not have a clear understanding of the gospel, but they're aware of something. I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. I've heard something about a Jesus who's a Savior, and that sounds abundantly wonderful to me. I'm very interested in that. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be in heaven with God. These are things that are appealing to me. I believe those spiritual things, and I'm concerned about how my life has been lived in front of a holy God. Now, can someone who has only a natural mind have any of those sentiments in sincerity? Can they have any of those sentiments? The man who hears the things of the Spirit of God and says, that's foolishness to me. So the very fact that someone might be animated about this, even in some measure of ignorance about what Christ has done, is an indication that they don't regard these spiritual things as foolishness. They regard them as serious and they're worried about it. What do they stand in need of? Well, for someone who has misinterpreted that verse, they stand in need of two things. They're going to stand in need of what was told here. They also stand in need of having a proper understanding of the gospel, right? When the gospel is properly explained, it is a finished work. It is not do this to become justified. It is Christ did this, therefore his people are justified, and those who believe it are among him, among his people, right? They're among them. So, I'm going to assume that those in this assembly understand that Christ's work is a finished work. We're not questioning who this is addressed to. We're not trying to say, well, this is trying to tell me I might not be of the elect, so I need to figure it out and make sure that that's right. That's not what's being taught here. What's being taught is if you do these things, you shall never fall. He's talking about all those things that were spoken of before, the things you need to add to your faith. He's talking about walking as a disciple. You know, when Jesus Christ preached, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now that is evidently true. It's true of the gospel. If you hear the gospel and understand it's a finished work, the job is done, that is a freeing or liberating thing to come into understanding. I don't deny that. But the context of when Jesus said that, he's talking about obeying God. He's not really talking about understanding the gospel. So there is an understanding of the gospel that is liberating, but 
You want to become more liberated and more rooted in what you believe? Don't just accept the precepts of the gospel that it's a finished work. Also accept and put into practice the things about how we are to live our lives. Because then you're starting to see it not only just in the abstract of, well, I believe this testimony of something that happened 2,000 years ago. You're seeing it in the reality of what's going on in my day-to-day life. You know, one of the deceitful things about sin, and sin is said to be deceitful. One of the deceitful things about sin is that even God's people can be convinced that the practice of sin is really something that's better for you. Like, it's, well, I kind of want to do that. Isn't this Christianity that's telling me not to do certain things, isn't that taking all my fun away? The world's running after all the fun. Isn't it taking all the fun away? Well, there might be something you want to do. And it's a sinful thing, and you just, you just say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to justify it. But you know what's going on in that is that you're sort of believing the gospel attributes that Jesus got the job done, and you're shouting hallelujah over that profession. And yet you're looking over here and saying, but these things about how I should live, I don't really think that's all that important, right? So Christians... Yea, even primitive Baptists have the ability to pick and choose out of the Bible. I mean, look, we blame a lot of people for picking and choosing out of the Bible. And a lot of people do. But we can be guilty of it too. And one of the ways we can be guilty of it is to say, I believe salvation is by grace. I don't understand why all these people don't understand that it's by grace and it's all by what God did. And yet... These admonitions that we're told to add to our lives that Jesus Christ said, that's how you're really going to know the truth and the truth sets you free. Just believing the gospel is an indication that you've been set free from the condemnation of eternal damnation out there. That's a liberating declaration. Now, you accept the precepts of Christ and put them into practice in your life. You're going to be set free from a number of things, not the least of which are the consequences associated with the practice of sin in your life. That is incredibly liberating. We are apt to ignore those things. So, if you do these things, you shall never fall. Well, to the extent that I've fallen from time to time in my Christian walk, I can know this much. That's a shall verse. That's a hard shall verse. Are you all hard shalls here today? You're going to have to take that one. So, ye shall never fall. Well, that's what it says. It's the Word of God. I believe it. I have to accept that as strongly as I accept Matthew 1.21. And yet I've fallen from time to time. So what does that tell you? There's only one logical conclusion to that. I have not always added to my faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity as I should have. Because if I had done those things... I would not have fallen. So this gets right into the meat of the matter of how we live our Christian lives. This is really, in many respects, the majority of what the New Testament is written about. Does teach salvation by grace, no doubt about that. That is a foundational truth that makes all of this other easier to understand. But it's also talking about how are you going to live in this present evil world? And gives you the precepts to do that. So, I'm going to assume we're all going to redouble our efforts now to be adding these things to our faith as we ought. And in so doing, we're going to be making our calling and election sure. 
You're going to see as you put those things in practice, you're going to be ministered to through your obedience. It's going to be demonstrating to you, you know what? There was a time when I started obeying God in this respect, and I started to see that what He was telling me all along was the truth. And when I wasn't doing that, and kind of ignoring that truth, I wasn't really set free by that truth because I was kind of ignoring it. But the truth shall set you free. Verse 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look, the kingdom of God is a rich topic. It's a deep topic. It has many facets there are many different ways you can go about it. Anyone who is a member of God's elect is a member of the kingdom of God, at least in covenant form. Right? Someone who is regenerate, who has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, is a member of the kingdom of God vitally. They have the Holy Spirit indwelling their body, and in that sense they are a member of the kingdom of God. But there is so much more to the kingdom of God than just something like that. I've heard it said that, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is not a flu shot, right? It's not a one and done. Well, I'm in the kingdom. It's not like joining the, the Rotary Club or, or some other society where they pin a little thing on your, on your lapel, and now I'm a member, and now I'm in the kingdom of God, and that's all there is. There's many levels of the kingdom of God, and there's ways that you can pursue the kingdom of God. If you take a national example, you can step over into the borders, you step across the border into Israel, you're in the nation of Israel, right? And technically you could say, well, I've been to Israel. But if you walk along the road, you can go closer to Jerusalem, can you not? And eventually you can enter the city gates. You can say, now I am in the capital city, so to speak, of Israel. And here I am. I'm, I'm going into Israel. And I'm going closer and closer. You get in there, you can, get, you can start approaching the Temple Mount. And then you get in up on the temple. In Christ's day, you could enter Solomon's portico. And you're getting a little closer then. And then at some point, you can see that there are almost these concentric circles that come out from the center of the kingdom of God. And as you press into the kingdom, you're drawing closer to God in the same way that going through Israel, you could get closer and closer to where God was in that day. And that would have been what? The Holy of Holies, right? So it's not enough to just say, well, I believe these things, therefore I'm in the kingdom of God. There is an entrance that is ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The degree to which you put in practice the principles of Christ taught in the Scripture directly relates to how far you are pressing into the kingdom of God and how much you come to understand the truth that will set you free. Years ago when I was not a churchgoer, but I was a believer and I was not a primitive Baptist, uh, I used to tell people, well, I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I kind of stepped over just across the, the borderline into the kingdom of God and I'm kind of hanging out there at the border smoking a cigarette, right? That was good enough for me at the time. Now that's a fool's notion, by the way. There's some measure of truth in it. 
because I suspect there's people out there who have who are members of God's kingdom, vitally speaking. They're regenerate people. But they've never taken much in the way of a step towards Jerusalem. They are not applying themselves to the precepts of God. And they are far removed from the blessings that they could have were they to follow those things. I, I got it. There's, there's, I've had some discussions recently. And I've been appalled at the notion. Some people have said to me, well, you're saying that God blesses people for obedience and that He punishes them for disobedience. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's absolutely undeniable. Anybody who's walked for any period of time as a Christian and has seen some of their own rebellion in play and the chastening rod of God come into their life is going to recognize, yeah, God has blessed me in many respects when I have been obedient to Him in ways that He would not have otherwise. And He has chastened and punished me as a result of my disobedience as a child of God. It's abundantly clear. I've had people say, well, that's, you know what, that, that's not punishment. Because Jesus died for your sins, He's never going to punish you for your sins. Well, Jesus died for your, to, for your eternal punishment, right? There's still consequences in the here and now for what you do. Any number of us could come up here and give testimony of, well, I did this for a time, and, and here's all the bad stuff that happened. Jesus didn't die to remove those things. He died to remove your eternal punishment and condemnation in hell. But there are still temporal consequences to disobeying God. This is evidently true. I've heard people, well, that is technically, that is not punishment from God. That is chastisement. Well, in that same text in Hebrews 12, it uses the word scourging. Scourging. It's not just, well, he's just trying to conform you to his... He's not punishing you. It's a scourging, people. I've got the stripes to prove it. There is a special blessing that comes upon God's people, not just by crossing over the border and saying, I believe... And I'm thankful for salvation by grace. And then using that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Paul warns us about that. But then saying, I'm thankful to my Lord and Savior. I want to know Him better. I want to make my calling and election sure because I want to know the Lord better. And I want to press into the kingdom. And we've been given many things we can do to press into that kingdom. <clears throat> but there's an entrance ministered to you here. I hear people say sometimes, well, I'm, I'm spiritually cold. You know, I just feel like I'm going through, I'm in a spiritual desert. I just, uh, God seems distant from me. Well, sometimes the problem is not uh, God's distance so much as the distance we're making of the matter. Right? Walk through that entrance is what I'm saying. If the Lord came in here today, you know, there's a passage that talks about the Lord knocking on the door of a church and wanting to come in and sup with them. I mean, the Lord is, is ministering to us an entrance further into the kingdom. It's almost just like if it's laid out there for you, here it is. You, 
You want to grow spiritually? You want to know the Lord better? You want to be assured in these things? You're going to have to press into the kingdom. It's like the Lord was back there knocking on the door of the church and somebody said, well, it's a long way back there. Did you lock the door? Surely he can come in on his own. I'm not going to get up and walk back there. I mean, it's ridiculous. The Lord has given us an entrance into the kingdom to know him better and to, to, uh, to have better fellowship with him and to press into it through obedience and through diligent discipleship. And we would be fools not to enter into it. Where we struggle is that entering into it often means that we're going to have to lay aside some of the baggage we want to take along with us. We have a lot of carnal distractions in this world, and we're going to have to lay some of those things down if we're going to minister, be ministered by that entrance into the kingdom. <clears throat> Verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Now some people come to church, well, I, I, a preacher said the same thing. He's been saying the same thing for two or three weeks. Well, you're supposed to be put in remembrance of these things. And Peter says this, though ye know them. Ever had that sense of, well, I know all that. Why isn't this preacher bringing something novel and interesting? And uh, so he needs to bring some fancy new thing into the pulpit because I'm getting a little bored with all these same old things. I've heard that, you know, diligently uh, calling an election. Sure, I've heard all that before. I've heard that salvation by grace before. What, when are we going to hear something new? Uh, well, as a people who are prone to blindness and forgetfulness, we need to hear these things time and again. <clears throat> I've used the example of jetties on the Arkansas River. If you don't go out there and throw more rocks on those things over and over again, they'll just wash away. You've got to be building up the jetties in your mind and keeping yourself in the right flow. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. <clears throat> so put you in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Very important that we be established in that, that we conform our lives to it. He says it again, yea, I think it meet, that means appropriate, it's only appropriate for me to say this, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. We need to be, we need to have remembrances. We're forgetful people. To such a degree that we can, be, we can be in a state where we have forgotten that we've been purged of our old sins. And when you lose sight of that, it's going to be hard to cultivate a lot of these other things, right? It's hard to be patient with people when you've forgotten that you needed a Savior, right? I mean, you can sit up there and kind of have this standard that, that you're judging everyone else by. Well, I'm not sure they're doing quite right, this and that. I'm very impatient with that. They just need to get over it. Yeah, well, how patient has the Lord been with you? You needed a Savior just as much as they did. And maybe as we're drawn into remembrance of that fact, we find it easier to be patient with people. <clears throat> Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. And by the way, we're all putting off this tabernacle before too much longer. Life is a handbreadth. And we know it. 
Brother Ronnie knows it. He wouldn't come back if he had the opportunity, I can guarantee you. <clears throat> we got to get through this life, and where we'll, but eventually we'll put off this tabernacle. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. How many times is he going to say you need to remember this? He's saying, I'm going to tell it to you, and then I'm going to tell it to you again, because you're blind and prone to forgetting things at times. And then, as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to tell it to you. And then when I'm gone, somebody else ought to be telling it to you. It's pretty, pretty important. <clears throat> For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now, the man who wrote this book saw and was involved in the direct physical, earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I've asked you all to give testimonies, and testimonies are very powerful. And one of the reasons they resonate with you and with others is that this is something that actually happened to me. This, this was in my life. I was there. I saw it happen. I saw it transpire. It's very meaningful to me. And I know it's true because I remember it, and I was there. That's a very powerful thing. But the way Peter uses it here is perhaps even more powerful. <clears throat> so he said we didn't get this as, as a bunch of cunningly devised fables, but we're eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw it with our own eyes. What I'm telling you about here is something we saw with our own eyes. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, there's at least two examples of that in the Gospels. You've got Jesus' baptism where that was said. But Peter saw that. He's like, I'm not making this up. I was there. I saw it happen. And then you've got the Mount of Transfiguration where this is said again. <laughs> And Peter's there too. He's like, I was there. This is my testimony. I'm sure it meant a lot to Peter. I'm sure Peter played those things over and over and over. And I mean, can you imagine seeing Jesus baptized? That would have been such an odd thing to see anyway, because, I mean, John the Baptist was bowled over by it. I should be baptized of you. What, what is going on here? I mean, it would have been incredibly disorienting. If you knew this is the Lord of glory and He's getting down here getting baptized, what is going on here? Uh, incredible memory. I'm sure Peter played that over in his mind time and time again. Holy Spirit descending like a dove, voices from heaven. This is my beloved son. I mean, it would have been a monumental moment. And I'm sure he played that over in his mind over and over again, even as he did the transfiguration. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. So that's the Mount of Transfiguration. But now listen to this. Having told you that I was with Jesus, when God Himself spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, having told you that as my personal testimony, this incredible account, now I'm going to say this. But we have also a more sure Word of prophecy. That is an absolutely incredible 
endorsement of the Bible. <laughs> Peter, the man who saw Jesus Christ being baptized, the Lord speaking from heaven, he's now saying, having told you all that, this incredible testimony, I have a more sure word of prophecy for you. And that's the Word of God. That's what we have with us. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. In other words, well, you, you, you seem to really enjoy my fantastic tale of this testimony I gave. It is incredible. I'm going to give you that. By the way, it's in the Bible too, right? You do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. In other words, the Word of God is an even greater testimony than my own personal experience. Now look, personal experience has a lot of influence on us. And it's difficult at times to accept the testimony of Scripture if it seems contrary to your personal experience. We tend to take our own testimony and elevate it above uh, what we find in Scripture. But that's not what Peter's saying. And whatever testimony you've got, I'm going to say it's not as fantastic and incredible as Peter's. And Peter's willing to place his testimony below what he has in the Word of God says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, the Scripture is not just a collection of some 40-odd philosophers over the course of a couple of thousand years. And we just kind of, interesting philosophies from uh, the Jewish people, and we're going to stick them together in a book. And they all had their own unique ideas about the world and it, it's not put together like that. It's not a philosophy textbook. It is a coherent revelation from God, wherein men were inspired by God to write the Scriptures. And that places it on a different plane from any other book that exists in this world. <clears throat> no prophecy of the Scriptures is any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, this is not someone sitting down. Jeremiah didn't sit down one day and said, oh, I've had an interesting life. I believe I'm going to capture this and I'm going to share this for my grandkids and I'm going to write all this stuff out and uh, posterity will know all the interesting philosophical musings I had over the course of my life. That is not how the Bible came together. It wasn't by the will of man. These men didn't just decide one day, I'm going to write my memoirs. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What we have in the Bible is a miracle. It is a supernatural miracle that you have sitting in your lap. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This verse has incredible utility, not only in just elevating your sense of how important the Bible is, it's incredibly important. It has utility in other ways. I've heard people say, well, you know, what about Solomon? 
Solomon went off the deep end. He loved many strange women, and he didn't follow after God like he did before. Well, Solomon, there's no testimony of his repentance. I've had people say to me, well, we can't know for sure that Solomon was a child of God. Straight ahead had people just tell me that flat out. Well, what does this verse say? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, is there any holy man of God who's going to end up in hell? No. If Solomon is not eternally saved, you've got some work to do. The first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to start removing things from the Bible. Because Solomon wrote a lot of things that are in the Bible. Okay? And if he was not a holy man of God and is burning in hell right now, we should remove everything he said from the Bible. Because Peter said holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. The more important point as it relates to this sermon, though, is that we should upgrade our thought of what the Scripture represents to us. It is a perfect revelation from God. It has been preserved for us. And we should, as primitive Baptists, not only just be thinking, it's all about salvation by grace. Well, Salvation by the sovereign, monergistic grace of God is incredibly important. It is a foundation upon which we must build our lives. We must also accept the testimony about how we are to live our lives and how we are to make our calling and election sure. Well, I pray that's a blessing to you. The Bible says if you're someone who believes these things, uh, those who have faith... um, you should join the church in the waters of baptism. So I extend that opportunity to you today, if you'll let me know. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, We don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.